squad, Brittany here. You know we like to have fun talking about our favorite show, Law & Order SVU, but one thing we love about it is that it tackles real-world issues. Though the story we recapped today was fictional, domestic violence and intimate partner violence are all too common. Common signs of an abusive partner include telling you you never do anything right, showing extreme jealousy of your friends or time spent away from them, preventing or discouraging you from spending time with friends, family members, or peers, insulting, demeaning, or shaming you, especially in front of other people, preventing you from making your own decisions, including about working or attending school, controlling finances in the household without discussion, pressuring you to have sex or perform sexual acts you're not comfortable with, pressuring you to use drugs or alcohol, intimidating you through threatening looks or actions, insulting your parenting or threatening to harm or take away your children or pets, intimidating you with weapons, or destroying your belongings or your home. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is available at 1-800-799-7233 or text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. You deserve a healthy relationship. Yeah, so what happened to Tori Spelling's eye? Oh my gosh. So she wore her contacts for 20 days straight and then got like a massive eye infection or something. Um, Now, I am a blessed human and I have 20-20 vision, sort of, 20-20 <laughs> vision. But. And I also have 20-20 vision, but not because I was blessed with it, because I paid several grand for a doctor <laughs> to open up my eyeball, stick a laser in it, and heal me she had okay you know how you do that thing where you put on your friend's glasses and it shows you kind of the reverse of like like so whereas people with glasses they can see but the people who don't need them they see like the glasses the no glasses version i put on Brittany's one time and i went oh my god i was like what i used to be horrifically nearsighted like really really bad yeah i i asked i was like wait so like <laughs> just this must be terrifying for you every morning. It used to be. I honestly kind of block it out. I forget that I used to be a glasses wearer. And I mean, I was a very serious glasses wearer. And honestly, I got I got LASIK because like I would go over my boyfriend at the times and I wouldn't have like my contact case. And it was a problem. <laughs> yeah. You I was like, see. oh my God, what are we going to do? Like some people can see and I put those on. I was like, my God, this and is awful. So I literally don't know how to, <laughs> you t- so I texted Paige at like eight o'clock at night. And I'm like, ha, look what happened to Tori Spelling. Not ha ha. But dude, I've slept in my contacts before. It's awful. I've taken a nap in my contacts and you immediately want to rip them out of your head. Because they're not like, they're not glued to your eyeball. I'm explaining. Like, they're not like glued to your eyeball, guys. No, but like they're not like glued to your eyeball. So like they, I would assume they move around. They do move around a little bit. Um, but if you sleep in them, they, they start getting really dry and they'll like, you'll wake up and your vision will be a little blurry and they kind of adhere to your eyeball a little bit. They do so get glued to your eyeball. It, they, they kind of like they're, it's. It's horrific. Not horrific. I'm being dramatic, but it's... It sounds horrific. 
I know that, that was, it's our group chat. Everyone leave us alone. Oh my gosh, you guys. What is this even about? We'll look at it later. We'll talk to you guys later. Oh God. Is it something important? Oh no, I'm trying to look at that article about Tori Spelling's eyeballs oh, right. and I can't find it. <laughs> the article? I'm like, the Reddit? <laughs> the literal link I sent you is just taking me to Reddit. I, know, I, I feel like a- Tori Spelling has an eye ulcer from not taking out her contacts for 20 days. Sweetheart. That is so on brand. And she's fucking rich. That makes me mad. Sometimes I pushed my contacts a little bit because they were expensive, not because I was having a good time. And even then, it wasn't 20 days. She's like randomly out of her mind. Oh, yeah. Just anytime I see a news article about Tori Spelling, it's just, it's not like she did something awful, but you're just like, huh. Yeah. Like, baby, well, what you doing? The thing she did in 2020. But it's, it's okay. But you know what? No, I was almost going to say it's not a big deal. It was. What'd she do in 2020? She. <laughs> Um, so her daughter, uh, they they were watching reruns of Martin, and so there there's a oh. character in Martin. It's like it's kind of like a Tyler Perry. Um, a Medea. Yeah, Medea. There we go. And so then, um, Tori Spelling posted a picture of her daughter with, <laughs> yeah, um, oh no, white people. <laughs> It's just peak white people. I love when people like go and get your white people, and I'm like, oh no, that's that's ours. <laughs> that's Damn, it. Damn it, that's one of ours. <laughs> Shit, you know, like don't do that. That's why. And she was like, no, please don't be mad at Hattie. She isn't innocent. And she said it like that. She isn't innocent. And I'm like, how old was Hattie? Hattie's like ten or something. Okay, so maybe eight. No, but but then you ex- that's a teaching moment for your oh, hundred percent. This is way less bad than that, but I'm still kind of like Tori. It's Tori. just, like, but yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like what. what do you know if that happened to me i would not tell anybody no i'd be like hey yeah i got an eye ulcer from studying the word of the lord too hard (laughs) i was reading my bible so hard that my eye ulcered ulcered be more like jenny garth yes unless uh, is she i I don't think she's problematic now i'm like oh my god did she i know i'm gonna be like be more like Jenny Garth. This is the one episode that everyone listens to, and it turns out she's like a flaming racist. Like a flaming racist. This is like when I endorsed, publicly endorsed, on my private Instagram profile of maybe 100 followers, um, Fred Savage. I was like, oh. every day that Fred Savage stays married to his wife is a day that I die inside. And then my friend responded with an article being like, wait, do you not know about his long history? Oh, no. And I was like, what do you mean long? And I saw the most recent one. I'm like, that's awful. And then I saw another one from the 90s. And I was like, holy shit, no. It's it's very hard to be a fan of someone right now because it, <laughs> really? a lot of people are just trash. <laughs> fucking garbage no it's so true i think we could all we all universally are a fan of greta gerwig right now but oh, let's just keep our fingers crossed i know like has she done anything i hope not i hope not i hope barbie is well she's pretty she's good she's good i'll just i'm so excited for that barbie movie well <laughs> so today episode wise we're discussing uh season one law and order svu i don't know if you remember law and order svu season one episode 13 yay i did it disrobed and this one's a cool episode because like neither of us had strong feelings about it like no it's it's fine it's fine. a solid b episode it's kind of like a date where you're like i mean like i'm not gonna watch this episode again probably for a while like oh, yeah. you know but i have no problems with there's a couple of things that were like huh but it wasn't nearly as bad as like so many others it's not ridiculous like russian love poem yeah it wasn't horrifically sad it is sad but it's not horrifically sad like the two before russian love poem that i've blocked out emotionally 
there is. I actually do have light outrage towards our players in this because I oh, like. Okay, sorry. Yeah, we'll get into to, it. And, <laughs> yeah, and actually, Brittany and I did not discuss this episode like basically at all this week, so we're kind of just like coming into this like fresh. I know this is very interesting. Very. Yeah. Usually, we'll send like voice memos and just be like, "What?" <laughs> we try not to go too hard. We try to, you know, save it for the pod. But usually, there's like one or two things that we spiral on. Air date February fourth, two thousand, and this episode was directed by David Platt. I have nothing more to say about him. Yeah, again, <laughs> like we didn't look up anyone. <laughs> so, dun dun, opening scene: a woman who is seemingly homeless. I'll just say that, and uh, I would suggest traditionally a person who uses drugs. This person in the show credits is called the Junkie, which I think is kind of disgusting, but okay. Uh, so this. Homeless woman and probably a person who suffers from drug addiction approaches a car that is parked by it's like a, a pier dock area. Actually, I don't even I, I have that's like all I have for a description because I really don't go down by that area. So she just opens the driver's side door of this car, just opens it as though she's been invited. And inside is an older gentleman and he's been shot in the head and also in the genitals. Yes. Yes. And she goes, oh, God. Oh, oh, God. Kind of like me when I find a dead mouse. It's not like (laughs) struck me as slightly like an inappropriate reaction. Because that's how I am. If I see like, I don't know, a dead animal or a huge mess in my home, I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. And then she just kind of jogs away. Yeah, it was very much giving like, ah, shit. Come on. Like, fuck. Fuck. Yeah, I said she was shocked and inconvenienced in my notes. Yes, very inconvenienced. So Munchity arrive on the scene and Munch comments on the view of this pier and Cassidy, this is so strange (laughs) and it's not clear. It's never explained. Cassidy says that it's lovely at night and Munch is like, how do you know that? And Cassidy's like, I've been here before on a case. And Munch is like, what case? And Cassidy's like, uh, actually it was like a date. Cassidy's like the worst liar. It was so weird. And then he goes, he was like a date with who? And he goes, my friend, Ron. It was like a man. He's like a friend, a guy. And Munch is just like, okay. And so I'm like, oh, he's been there buying, you know, he's been visiting a sex worker down there. But then we find out that, no, he probably wasn't. Oh, I thought he was seeing Olivia again. Oh. Which makes no sense. And we'll get into that. Hey, it was, I mean, the story made no sense. Like, that was really weird. I mean, really, like, I would have thought, you know, visiting a peer. He did tell us previously he knew where the sex workers migrated to after the great bust of the 1970s. He also very loudly declares this episode that he would never engage with a sex worker. Right. So that's when I was like, okay. Like, anyway, so he's all over the place, as usual. (laughs) So Munch then says the word hoopty, and I just wanted to point that out. Hoopty. I totally missed that. Mm -hmm. Or he was asking Cassidy, goes, you and your boys ever come down in your hoopties? And I was like, a hoopty. A hoopty. What generation is Munch even fucking from? He claimed in this very episode after Cassidy responded whatever to something, he goes, you know, my generation coined the phrase whatever. And, and I said the same thing. I was like, what generation is that, Munch? What generation? He was born in the 40s. You know, IRL, but also in this, like, show. Yeah, he, yeah. Is that the greatest generation or are those still boomers? Can you imagine being called the greatest generation? It just sounds old. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a part of the greatest generation. That's our grandparents. It, it would come up in, in conversation a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of on the linear. Okay. Greatest generation. Anyway, so he's part of he's part of the cavemen. So they walk up to this like cute little CSI guy. 
I thought that was Briscoe Jr. <laughs> he looks like Briscoe Jr. who does pop in later. Oh, shit. I thought Little they were Briscoe. the same person. Why did this they just like, use him? This is like a he poor man. They, I don't know why they won't just give Briscoe Jr., who is really Jerry Orbach Jr. I think that's his actual name. Um, I think you're right. Right. So I'm like, why don't you give him like a whole thing? So yeah, the CSI guy tells him that they found like a bunch of fingerprints on the car door. Uh, like half of Manhattan probably touched that door. So they conclude it might have been a valet. That has nothing to do with anything. Um, Cassidy examines the body and determines that this guy was shot at close range in the head and the genitals with a nine millimeter. Munch finds a gun holster and handles it without gloves like the professional he is. I'm so mad. They ask if the person who is not Briscoe, they ask him if a gun was found. He says no, but he has the victim's wallet and this IDs him as Judge Warren Varela. Munch tells the man who isn't Briscoe he better seal this scene tighter than an accountant's ass. Charming. Okay, that's the second time they bring up accountants, and they keep doing this, the writers. They keep doing it. This is the second time they bring up ass this episode. <laughs> we're not there. We're about to do that again. There's another thing. So, dun-dun. Um, they're discussing. Everyone's discussing. Bunch and Cassidy run through the victim's day. Nothing out of the ordinary, but he never made it home. Olivia mentions the wife is absolutely shattered. Um, and Cragen asks um, if she was worried when he didn't come home. And Stabler's like, she's not really talking to us. Yeah, she was like sequestered. But really what it meant was she just wasn't ready to discuss she the case. She didn't want to talk to the cops. Yeah, but they were like, she's sequestered currently. And I'm like, the fuck does that mean? I just pictured her like in like a penthouse apartment with like secret security around her. And she's just like, I'm sequestered. I'm sequestered. The squad discusses, they're throwing out a bunch of, it's one of, the, it's one of those scenes where they're just throwing out things. They're like, maybe he was having an affair, or it was a hit by a scorned felon. And then little Briscoe walks in, and he tells them that the judge, Judge Varela, was licensed to carry, and he owned a 9mm. Cragen asks um, if there are any casings found at the scene. Yeah, he was like, Is there, do we find the gun? And Cassidy was like, no, and it's probably in the river. Thanks, Cassidy. Yeah, I know. So then Cragen asks where the wife is. Um, she is in seclusion, as Paige and I said before, and her lawyers aren't going to let them talk to her right now. And Cragen's just, he's getting angrier and angrier, of course. This is triggering him. This sentence he says, he goes, okay, people, our asses are flapping in the wind on this one, which is disturbing imagery. Well, it's a lot of ass talk <laughs> for, we're at less than five minutes into this episode, and we've talked about asses flapping and sealing asses it's a lot of ass talk <laughs> so much ass talk i'm leaving in that laugh because no one will understand why there was a massive gap uh, so so right after he says that jeffrey's just randomly suggests she goes oh because apparently the judge was really he was an ally of women's um support groups and the like npos if you will so kind of Je Jeffrey's randomly volunteers this information and she's like, oh, you guys should check out the women's shelter on Houston. And it was a it was like a, a women's shelter that the job, judge helped institute. It's called Together We're Safe, which I think is kind of a dumb name. But That's a very I? dumb name. Yeah. And Craig, it's like, OK, fine. And then he sends Benson Stabler there and he tells him to follow the politics. So I love recapping these early scenes because we really know what happened. So I get to sit here and be like, everyone, you're so dumb. None of these ideas are right. <laughs> <laughs> they're all running in all these crazy directions they don't, ugh, they're not even close yet i'm like i don't even know why i bothered taking such like detailed notes on the scene because they're not even right so craigan sends everyone out on their little assignments Ugh. and cassidy bounds after olivia like a little puppy and he's like you got a second and she goes 
yeah, one. So Stabler's like, yeah, I'll meet you down at the car. And Cassidy's like, does he know? And she's like, well, we don't really share our private lives. I'm like, he, uh, Olivia, he does know. He does know. I know. I was like, way to lie to his fucking face. I mean, like, and frankly, we find out that literally everyone knows yeah. in this episode. Oh, 100%. And she's like, oh, uh, yeah, no, he doesn't know. Um, what was the thing you want to talk to me about? And then for some reason, Cassidy finally gets it. And he's like, oh, um, nothing. Just wasting everyone's yeah. fucking time. And she leaves. She's like, OK. Dun dun. Judge Varela's chambers. Um, so I guess this is like his secretary. Yeah, it's like his secretary. That's what she's credited as. Yeah. Um, not this lady, as she's lovingly referred to in as. <laughs> I said, is this lady Judge Mrs. Judge Warren? And yeah, so this lady. BNS are asking the secretary if Judge Warren had, or Judge Varela, Warren Varela, had any enemies. And she says pretty much just about everybody he put away, which like, yeah, I thought that too. Olivia's like getting in hot. Yeah. She's mad. Anything more personal and asks if he had a girlfriend. And this lady, his secretary, vehemently denies this. She's like, look, I heard about the other bullet. But she thinks it's because he sentenced so many sex offenders. And she says she has a whole file of threats on his life. So then this lady, I'm just going to keep going. Thank you. <laughs> this lady says, she's like, I really hope you find who did this. And Sable goes, yeah, us too. She goes, no, really? <laughs> I'd still be flipping hamburgers at the hamburger heaven if it wasn't for Judge Varela. They're like, great. <laughs> like, oh, my God. She stopped an investigation to go, no, really? No, really, I hope you, I hope you do find him. Because <laughs> personally, he's done a lot for me. So, dun dun, that's literally it. Um, this was a strange scene. It wasn't really, but we're at the Emmy's office, and she's in a disturbingly good mood. Do you know she has a name? It's like Elizabeth, right? Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Rogers. I thought she was just some bunk Emmy they hired for season one. She's been in like 100 episodes. She's like a big player of Law & Order Criminal Intent. Well, I'm glad they moved her over there because fucking sexy ass, what's his face, Vince D'Onofrio probably would have handled her sass a lot better. I think so. I was like, oh, I was on IMDb. I noticed she had a real name. I'm like, oh, God, her name is Dr. Rogers. That's crazy. So I click on it. They're like over 100 episodes. I was like, wait, what? Um, They ask if Judge Varela was shot in the groin or the head first. And she goes, genitals. And I put the emoji that's kind of like sly like sort of like <laughs> yeah because that's how she said it she was like genitals and then a few minutes later he was shot in the head and i don't know how they could have known that and that he died from massive loss of blood of course so one of them says it was either a b or s says like the print must have been deciding what to do with him or enjoyed watching him suffer and the me goes there's something else and then she tells him that judge varela ejaculated just Ew. minutes prior to being shot in the head I would have started with this. Yeah, that's, like, really important for the investigation. Yeah, and she kind of, like, waited. She was kind of, like, giggling over there, kind of like, I can't wait until they ask. <laughs> yeah, she was like, mm. so, there was something else. He ejaculated. Oh, thank you. Sex crimes. Thank you. So then she says that she found the remnants of, she said something waxy, and then she named red dye number 12, and then Olivia goes, cherry glow lipstick <laughs> i was like okay maybe i could have put together that was lipstick but i wouldn't have known the color and i mean i've never seen olivia in anything other than like a very 90s dark red dark lipstick. lipstick yeah i mean this bitch does not wear cherry glow and frankly as beautiful she is i don't think her skin tone could handle it no i didn't like cherry glow once we got a look at it no it's not a very attractive color. it was unattractive and purely <laughs> used for a plot line but yeah i thought that was strange because <laughs> i was like why would you know that 
So Stabler thinks it's time to finally go talk to the widow. Um, okay, I have here in my notes, Dr. Elizabeth Rogers has been in 110 episodes of Criminal Intent, and we've just called her the bitchy Emmy for 13 episodes. That's all she offered to us. She gave us nothing. Yeah, she was like, what is this? Lipstick? Eh, you go to the opera, but you don't know what lipstick is? You, you pretender. Feckless whore <laughs> of untrammeled crank. Undone. <laughs> this is another scene that I was like, what's happening? Honestly, I have so many notes for this scene, and I don't even I don't even want to linger here because I think it's a very boring scene. But there's so much shade being thrown. Oh, a lot of like low-key shade. So B and S are at Mr. or Judge Varela's apartment and they're interviewing his widow. They asked her if she was worried when she didn't see him come home the night before. She says no, because she usually goes to bed before he gets home. He works late. Then the next morning, they're like, well, were you worried you didn't, see, you didn't see him the next morning? She's like, no, same deal. He leaves like super early and I wake up later than when he leaves. Um, Olivia <laughs> comments. She goes, sounds like you don't spend much time with your husband. And the woman kind of looks, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, shade. Jeez. Whoa, damn. And then Mrs. Varela, not to be outdone, looks at her and goes, you're not married, are you? And Olivia's like, no. And I have to say, I am married, and that is ridiculous. I'm also a light sleeper. So if Tyler never came to bed or wasn't there, never mind. Cut that out. Who cares about my, my married life? Um, well, I will submit that I am a light sleeper, but also I'm a jealous bitch. And if I'm not seeing you before I go to bed and after I wake, you're cheating. And I wasn't wrong. He, he is cheating. So Stabler now asks, he goes, was the judge satisfied at home? Miss Varela's like, what? <laughs> she's a little pissed at this. Yeah, she's like, I'm sorry, is this necessary? So Stabler's like, we have reason to believe the murderer is a woman. And she goes, well, that's hard to believe. He was a friend to women. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah. As a woman, can I say how personally grateful I am that Judge Varela is a friend? <laughs> what a statement. He's a friend to women. <laughs> The guy who invented Tyson's chicken. Friend to poultry. <laughs> so she's offended by this. Um, they ask her point blank. They're like, do you think your husband was having an affair? And she was like, I mean, to be honest, if he was, I'd be the last person to know. Again, she's good at clapbacks. I like her. Yeah, she's, she's snappy. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler leave because that lady has finally shut them down. And Benson doesn't believe that she wouldn't know. She's like, women always know. I, well, so then Stabler goes, yeah, she was right about the marriage thing. You're clearly not married. I'm like, why is everyone coming for her marriage? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> like, geez, thought we were done with this single woman shaming. So then Stabler makes a statement that if the judge committed a felony, he would lose his pension. So she might be trying to protect his pension. But I was like, OK, well, cheating on her isn't a felony. I think, yeah, I would have to do more research, but I would assume that she would still get the spousal benefits because like she didn't she didn't consent to being cheated on right which is kind of how they were treating it they were really asking her they're like was your husband having an affair they asked or not? Her three different times in three different ways yeah. they're like was he satisfied at home was he seeing another woman was he having an affair i'm like you fucking asked her that like t- twice we hearken back to russian love poem the friggin ultra natasha yeah. yeah like that that wife knew about every he took he kept pictures in the house so this is city hall i think i wrote some law building yes and they're here to interview Emily Waterbury. Her hair is so thick and shiny. She's absolutely beautiful. It was one of those types of beauties where I am both angry and like. Want to be your friend. Yes. Yes. 
yes. Kind of in a creepy, like, Lifetime movie. Like she's going to wake up and you're brushing her hair. Oh, actually, it's like a Tori Spelling Lifetime movie. Actually, highly recommend this one. It was called Death of a Cheerleader, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Based on a true story about oh, a girl who became obsessed with... Not Tori Spelling, but like this popular girl who was a cheerleader and then the girl didn't want to be her friend and she like stabbed her to death because she was afraid that the cheerleader would tell everyone how weird she was. Cause they- <laughs> well, now we know how Emily Waterbury's going to die. <laughs> I just said blueprint. She's gorgeous. 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 I'm going to kill her. <laughs> so they tell her they want to talk about Judge Varela and they basically tell her they're on the case. We're going to find his killer. And she thanks them and then turns to go. Yeah, no, she goes, oh, yes, terrible tragedy, terrible news. We're all in shock. And then she turns to leave. (laughs) Why does she think they, like, went to talk to her? Yeah, so they're like, oh, one sec. And they ask her, like Brittany said, how she knew Varela. So she's the deputy director of the Women's Action Coalition movement and also involved with this that nonprofit shelter we mentioned earlier, and that Varela was heavily involved in that. So he helped open up the shelter itself, and he was heavily involved in, like, assisting the shelter. So she says that they lost a great champion in Varela because he was a big advocate to women. And she didn't really know him that well, but just, like, you know, they crossed. She knew, she knew him by reputation. Uh, she's usually up in Albany, but for some reason, even though she didn't know him very well, the governor asked her to come down and, like, speak at his memorial? Yes. And the governor's office can um, answer any other questions you have. She, like, basically gives them, like, a huge brush off. Again, I'm like, but what is your job? And I'm not really yes. asking anymore because it's like, what? I don't even know. But it's like, what are you talking about? Well, she kind of weirdly goes earlier. She says, um, that just means I lobby for women's movements up in Albany. So it's like sto- stocks and bondage. Very vague. They keep giving these really, really, really pretty women vague jobs. I know. <laughs> Where's my vague job? So, dun-dun, I wrote somewhere where they keep parole records. Yes. Because I don't know. So it's Munchity, and they're going through parole records uh, from people that Judge Varela had put away. And I think we mentioned this earlier, but yeah, I think Brittany mentioned it earlier. He was, like, really big into putting away um, people who, men who abuse women and sex offenders. So that was, like, his big thing. So that's why he's an ally to women. They're discussing... (laughs) They're just apparently a case came up in probably one of those dumb courtroom scenes that I'm now starting to miss where they were like, here's sex crimes where a mother brought a bought a stripper for her son's bar mitzvah and he was she was dressed as a cop. So Munch says that he, too, would have liked to have for his bar mitzvah, which is a reminder. Bar mitzvah is when a man, a little boy turns 13. I know it's supposed to be a man, but it's a little boy. You're a little boy at 13. Munch says that he would have liked to have visited the Mustang Ranch, which is a real brothel in Nevada. Oh, Munch. Not when you're 13, sweetie. No sex worker wants to fuck a 13-year-old. I'm speaking for all of us. And if they do, jail. 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 So Cassidy now talks in his special Cassidy cadence, and he goes, strippers and hookers? What's up with that? Isn't it all just kind of pathetic, paying for sex? Of course, he like shouts it out. <laughs> I like how you were. I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what she's going to do. And it really was. It's like, paying for sex is pathetic. I just lost my breath trying to do it. Munch, of course, is like, you're going to pay one way or another. Yeah, sorry if your worth is measured at the very beginning of our relationship by paying for meals. I apologize. And then Cassidy goes, not me. (laughs) Because that's how he delivers every line. Dean Winters, I, I think you can do better. 
I mean, I'm trying to think of how he does it in Oz, but it's a little different because in Oz, everyone's obviously screaming. Everyone's always already mad. <laughs> everyone's getting assaulted and screaming constantly. So Munch goes and says, okay, cool, fine. You're young, you're good looking, and you're probably getting laid. Keep it to yourself. So I would have thought that would just meant like when I tell that to my friends, both married and single, keep it to yourself because I'm not happy for anyone. <laughs> I took it as that. I thought he meant just like, I don't want to hear about how happy and laid you are but then Cassidy goes what's that supposed to mean (laughs) and Bunch basically tells him to fucking cool it in the office he specifically says don't stare don't leer don't mope all things we saw him do in that one episode closure literally the gamut of that oh yeah Munch basically called him on all his closure bullshit I'm happy that we weren't the only ones who thought that was inappropriate. It really seemed like nobody except for Stabler is like weirdly turned on by it and then took his, his bizarre anger out of Munch the yes. next episode. That's probably why Munch is so mad. He's like, you are triggering Stabler. I am not the one doing. I'm not the doer. So I can't, <laughs> I can't make this stop. But you can. Can you just imagine how not subtle Cassidy's been these past few months? Just like mooning over Olivia, just like staring at her and Munch and Elliot and even Jeffries and Craig are probably so fucking uncomfortable. It's probably been awful and none of them sack up except for Munch and like tell him to stop. People, I think, are afraid of cancers because we will burst. He probably would have burst, yeah. burst into <laughs> tears and they're like, they're like, we don't want that. We just want him to act normal. Cassidy's like, OK, listen. There's nothing going on between me and whoever else. Like, whatever, dude. So Cassidy reads off a list of recent parolees, and then they start cross-checking this list with a list of people who have also made threats against Judge Varela. Sorry, that one keeps tripping me up for some reason. Yeah, me too. Um, And they identify Delfino Melendez as someone who appears on both lists. Yeah, Varela kept, like, he kept a whole list of, like, public outbursts in his courtroom. And I'm like, that's hilarious. That's like, I would do that. I'd be like, dear diary, today Delfina Melendez threatened me in court, in open court. Threatened me, the DA, the juror with the blonde hair. He threatened us all. He threatened us all. My God, I have 69 unread text messages. Is it all from those absolute? Gosh, I am furious. I have 62. Dun, dun. We're at Delfina Melendez's apartment. Munchity knock on the apartment door where Delfina Melendez's girlfriend lives and she answers. The girlfriend answers. And as she's telling them, she goes, look, I didn't call you guys. Delfino himself runs up behind her, grabs her and starts beating the tar out of her right in front of the cop. I don't know what on earth he's thinking. But yeah, he immediately like bum rushes her, calls her a bitch and starts attacking her. Slapping her. And like he knows it's the cops because he says later he knew it was the cops. And he's a recent parolee. Are you fucking stupid? Cassidy's sexy. I'll give him this. Busts in the door, takes Delfino, throws him on the ground, and is like, what the hell is wrong with you? What is your problem? Munch is standing in front of the girlfriend who's like hysterically crying. He's got his gun out. So the camera work here is really interesting, and I really appreciated this. They kind of pan back and forth from Cassidy to Munch, and it's a little shaky, and it's like a very tight shot. I was like, oh, whoever the camera person is for SVU, kudos. I have no idea who you are, but you do a great job. So Cassidy drags Melendez, Delfino Melendez out, and then Munch does this very strange little thing where he like, he's like leaving too, but he kind of does like a quick spin. He like spins and pieces out. She has just been attacked and she is sobbing. And her child, who is in the apartment with them, all of a sudden rushes to her and they're hugging. I'm like, 
can we get some like post-trauma care? Done, done. Now we go to the station. For some reason, BNS are interviewing Melendez, even though they weren't the ones that collared him. Right. <laughs> yeah, weird. I was like, okay. Um, so he says his thought his, he thought his girlfriend was messing with him, which is why he hauled off and started smacking her in front of the cops. Yeah. So Stabler ignores this, and he's like, where were you on Tuesday night? Olivia just slaps the guy in the back of his head. Can she do that? Stabler literally goes, where were you on Tuesday night? Then there's a beat, and then Olivia slaps this man in the head. I was like, whoa. He- That's very out of character for her. Yeah, and I thought when I first saw it, I thought I missed something. I was like, oh, I wonder if he like made a kiss noise or like put his finger up or whatever. No, he just he's just like, fuck you. Yeah. No, I don't know if she's allowed to do that. Um, so he goes, nah. And Stabler's like, nah, funny. Nah, is a very New York thing. Funny, you threatened him in open court. So Melendez says he was just mad uh, and that he didn't do anything to Varela's fat ass. Olivia goes, you? Here with the joke, here to slap people and make jokes. Olivia Benson, ladies and gentlemen. I know. She's really on one today. She's like calling people's marriages out, hitting people. So basically, Melinda says he did nothing to the judge. Why is he whining to you guys about it? And they're like, well, no, he's dead. And then they ask him about his prior weapons charges, asks if he has a nine millimeter. And then he makes fun of nine millimeters. He's like, a dumb gun like that? No, I have coup guns. They sell them at Kmart and, like, gun shows. They don't have any style. They ask him how it was even possible that he was able to threaten a judge in open court and then two days later be released on parole. And Melendez kind of makes a comment. He goes, ask my accountant. So, again, oh, accountant. Accountant, accountant okay. again. Okay. And then they're like, okay, stop with the fucking jokes. And then they're kind of, like, getting him up to go put him in holding. And he goes, no, he told me he had to pay out to a charity or else. That's what he said on the way out. And they're like, what? Yeah, they don't believe him. And they're just, they just, like, haul him away. So, dun-dun, bullpen. Cassidy says that the last phone call Varela made was to, quote, some chick named Emily Waterbury. Stabler's like, well, that's funny. She claims she barely knew him. Why would she lie about that? Oh, my God. So, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, maybe Delfino's telling the truth. Yeah, Yeah, like, and also, I remember thinking, why would he make that up? Yeah. So, Munchie's going to go check out this bribe tip, which is funny because now Benson and Stabler are going to go talk to Emily Waterbury. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what do you... They're like, we're going to go investigate that tip. And then we were back with Benson and Stabler. So done, done. We're at City Hall. Emily is walking away slash with BNS once again. So busy. She is much like our friend Katya from last episode. She's like, I can't keep track of all the phone calls I receive in a day. Hmm, I'm busy. You wouldn't remember a phone call like from a guy named Judge Varela who ended up dying like two days after you or like like hours after you talked to him on the phone. He's like, well, I just didn't put it together. And then Stabler goes, that's funny. And she's like, what? And he goes, it's just that we're from New York City and yet you're the one treating us like we're some hicks from upstate. That was really funny, but also was she? I don't think she was because really all she said was she couldn't remember like a phone call right. and she's clearly lying but yeah they were like she, he's like why are you treat us like we're dumb people and then her response is that's silly that's silly so then they tell her they did a search on her and they know that she apparently had done some sex work and had some drug charges and then judge varela helped her get this job and olivia like she's like yeah and at varela's recommendation you're now able to afford these lovely suits I'm like Suit shaming. I know. Suit shaming. Suit shaming. Because you know that Olivia's leaving her suit era and she's moving on to her turtlenecks and matching makeup era. Thank God. Because all the suits she wears are awful. Yeah. They're actually especially heinous. Liv reminds her they're capable of tracing phone calls. Um, and Emily kind of plays dumb. Olivia says they know she got a fresh start from the judge. So what did she do for him? 
so once again, she goes on a little rant that seems to, I don't really understand. She goes, well, it's politics. And she goes on a rant where she says, is it politics to get a man out of jail so he can support his wife and children? Is that a crime? And they're like, what? What is she talking about? Is it really a crime to help a man who's been truly rehabilitated out of jail? They're like, we didn't ask. We asked, like, what you do for the judge. So Benson's like, no, but bribery is. And then Emily kind of is like, shit. Emily with the good hair is like, God, got me there. I don't have any more answers because I don't have a real job. So dun dun, we're back at Varela's chambers. B&S are there with Varela's protective secretary and they're searching the joint. burgers lady. They're like, we need all of Varela's records. Um, Burger Lady tells them they're barking up the wrong tree. Judge Varela was the last of the good guys. And seen. And seen, yeah. They were, they were getting, like, files from her about other charities. They do briefly mention he donated or crowdfunded for a charity for, like, pregnant teens to be <laughs> placed with clerical jobs. That's oddly things. specific. <laughs> That's a charity? So I think we, they never say this, but we have to assume Flipping Burgers Lady probably also isn't what she seems like. We don't find out if she knows anything, but she's so protective of him that she either really doesn't know or, much like in Stalked, the business partner, she has a super dark background with him, but she's just like fucking Stockholm syndrome into or sleeping a, with him. Or that. Yeah, maybe she was, like, cool with it. She's like, I'm his girlfriend. You really want to know? They're like, no, no one mentioned you. I spent so much time with him. He's what lasted the good guys. So, yeah, dun-dun. I wrote G's. Um, dun-dun. Bullpen. So, Cragen says he knows judges that use calling cards to call their wives from work just to avoid even a hint of impropriety. So I think what he's saying is there's just so many red flags around Varela that he could have easily avoided. So it's just kind of suspicious. Like, I was thinking that too. I'm like, he's really doing a lot wrong. And they kind of say that later. They're like, this fucking genius. Oh, yeah. So Cragen's like, is he cheating on his wife? Is he taking bribes or both? So they're looking at his records. He's involved in tons of charities. Um, and now it seems like a lot of the people he's put away have made donations to some of these charities. And then they got out. And they do, in fact, see Melendez's name on this list for the aforementioned two thousand dollars. Right, and it, the the chair, the donations are anywhere, but they're always kind of between two thousand and three thousand. That's what they said, like a randomly specific like thousand dollar number. So then Jeffries announces that together we're safe. The charity, uh, the shelter, took in it was four point four million dollars, I think. Yes, in one year. And then Cassidy says, "Pretty good for a fledgling charity." Oh boy. <laughs> um, Olivia who is just kind of feeding off the energy we've seen the last 13 episodes where they all kind of give each other shit, right. goes, fledgling, I'm impressed. Cassidy is activated. This Barbie doesn't like when you challenge his This Ken <laughs> is pissed. Cassidy erupts very much. He goes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm a real dope, aren't I? You know what I did last night? I looked it up and I memorized it just so I could impress you. Actually, Olivia takes this pretty well and just kind of has like a slightly embarrassed like, oh, geez, look. Yeah. yeah, she's the one who takes it. It's almost like she's used to it. She's just like, yeah, he calls me every night screaming and yelling. This is Munch while this is happening. Yeah. Munch is just like, what the fuck? So Cragen weirdly, he likes to scream and yell at people when they're giving him like helpful information. But for some reason to this reaction, he gets a little embarrassed and flustered. And he goes, um, right. Well, uh, that lady from um, Albany, uh, the Watergate girl. And then I don't know why, but Munch goes, 
Mrs. Watergate was Modine. And he goes, okay, Craig. It's like, okay, whatever. Watergate, Waterbury, whatever. <laughs> Just go talk to her. This Ken is yelling. This Ken Again. is flustered. <laughs> so they send, he sends everyone off. He's like, okay, everyone get out, get out, get out. And then he stops Cassidy. And I'm so excited. I was like, okay, finally. Good. So Cassidy, like me, thinks that he's about to get dicked out for being fucking crazy. He goes, sorry about that, Captain. Craigan's like, uh, about what? And he goes, about that little outburst out there. You know, the personal stuff. And Craigan's like, what, between you and Munch? And Cassidy's like, no, between me and Olivia. And he goes, I'm joshing you, Cassidy. This isn't the principles, and you're not in trouble. But why? But why? And but also, why? he has been told a thousand times to cool it with the Olivia stuff like you and Olivia can have a thing just like keep it on the down low and he's like oh yeah me and Olivia uh was anyone wondering about me and Olivia (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry you guys had to witness me yelling at Benson you know personal we're having a personal personal disagreement so instead um he is not getting yelled at Cragen gives a VHS to Cassidy and it's a state a taped statement of a, a victim from seven years ago that Craig had encountered when he was working in homicide. It was a nine-year-old girl who had been molested by her mother's boyfriend, and then afterwards, the boyfriend ended up murdering her mother. So, um, so he gets it to Cassidy, and he says that the girl called him recently, and he wants Cassidy to go meet with the girl, and he gives her the tape as kind of like background on her history. And he says that the girl's in Queens. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> so we're back with Miss Emily Watergate. LOL. <laughs> Modine. That actually made me laugh because I was like, names are hard, Craigan. Names are hard. So she's like, oh, so you followed the money to me. Yeah, follow the money again, bro. Couldn't you just have been forthright with them earlier? You knew right. they were going to find you. He's already dead. And then we find out that there's literally no threat in this situation. <laughs> so Judge Var- Varela would get the donations out of these parolees. And then apparently basically everyone on the parole board is on the take. Which they like to say, on the take. She confirms that. And Stabler asks, he's like, so is the money that's that's given by the parolees, their wives and girlfriends, usually are the ones who actually make the donations, does that money then go back into the parole board? It's like rerouted back to the parole board after. Emily neither confirms nor denies this. I still don't know. I'm thinking that's what happens. But she kind of (sighs) goes, whenever I would get the call, they were all in his pocket. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, there must be money being transferred. Right. Somewhere. So then Olivia asks, well, what was in it for Varela? And Emily says, he just wanted the sex. So Varela was just in it for the sex. Um, and she doesn't really kind of go into detail about that. But what it ends up being is what we could take from this is that Varela would extort sexual favors from the wives, girlfriends, probably sisters and mothers, if I'm, we're being real, of these parole board these felons who were put in he put in jail and then he would basically say i'll get them out of jail but you have to blow me sorry and then also make a large payment to this charity you know together we're safe and then the money from from that those donations would go back to the parole board people who would be agreeing to let them go yeah Yeah, that was their payoff dun dun now we're at a parolee's girlfriend's apartment aka i wrote a victim yes So she tells them Tyrell isn't here. So Tyrell must be the person who's in jail. Um, And they're like, "Mm, do you know Judge Varela? And she's like, yes, I spoke with him about Tyrell. He said he'd help me, but he he had her go down on him while she was pregnant. 
So Olivia's like, oh, so he told you if you did that, he'd get Terrell out. And she's like, no, I did it because he was cute. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I get they have to like, they have to like get them to say it the way they yeah. need to say it. But. And Olivia's like, oh, why didn't you complain? And she's like, I didn't complain because I didn't think anyone would believe me. Yeah. She goes, he's a judge. So they tell her Varela's dead. And then they ask where she was Tuesday night. She went upstate to visit Tyrell. So obviously there's going to be records of that. So she's pretty. She's pretty immediately cut off like the suspect list, but they still want to ask her how she got pregnant if Tyrell's been in prison. The woman goes, yeah, Tyrell's got three kids to support. And I go up there to remind him of that. And Olivia goes, oh, really? How are you able to make a fourth with no conjugal visits? And she shows great restraint, probably because she is pregnant. And she goes, immaculate conception. It's none of your business, bitch. This is a fucking victim she was i don't care if she agreed to do it or not when it's just like harvey weinstein's victims right why is this not you handle sex crimes yeah they're they're not very delicate with no any of these women dun dun so we're back in the bullpen and they kind of summarize the case varela was getting these parolees to make donations and then exchanging sex for favors craigan's like well that's a motive all we need is a perp so he suggests going back down to the pier to see if anyone saw anything. And Cassidy goes, it never ends, does it? I'm assuming he viewed the contents of that VHS because he says it. He seems a little haunted. And Craigan's like, Ugh. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have theories on this whole thing. Me too. Okay, good. We can discuss it when we get there. Why would he do this in the middle? So done, done. We're back at the pier where... Varela's body was found. Munch had ear on it. Munch finds a heroin needle and ponders medical waste or wasted medic. Stop drinking it in the morning. So then they find a woman. It's the same woman we saw at the beginning of the episode that we mentioned. And she's sleeping in a pile of dirty blankets. And Munch wakes her up with his foot. She comes out of her, you know, her blankets. And she says, I don't have anything. Munch is like, we're not here to score a cup of crack. So in a shocking turn of events cassidy's really gentle with her while munch is being a dick munch is like where were you tuesday night she doesn't even know what day it is right so cassidy's like hey there was a man shot here in a black seville and she says she knows which <laughs> you know she found it <laughs> yeah she's like, like yeah oh, god not <laughs> not getting involved in this she did hear the gunshots and she saw a woman getting out of that car and she's wearing a blue uniform Munch is like, great, so helpful. I'm going to call the captain and tell him, thanks to you, we solved the case. And Casty is still being really chill. He goes, yeah, can you chill out for a sec? And Munch just kind of stomps away. Bye, John. Bye, John. Why the fuck would he expect a person who lives outside, who's clearly doesn't eat regularly, sleeps outside in the elements, even if she wasn't a credited junkie in this episode, I don't think I would know what was going on. No. Like, you can't, you can't expect somebody who hasn't eaten in days, probably doesn't drink water regularly, lives outside. Ugh. Ugh, the optics. Ugh. So, dun-dun, bullpen. Jeffries is sitting with the girl, the homeless girl, and she's trying very gently to get a solid description out of her. And the girl's getting a little frustrated because she doesn't remember. Cragen runs over and tells Benson and Stabler and Cassidy that the press caught wind of their witness, and now the governor's all over his ass. Ass again. He asks if they've spoken to the parole board yet, and no, they haven't. Um, but they have been digging into another recent parolee named Roger Silver. And they'd mentioned kind of offhandedly that Emily told him that two of the parole board members are corrupt, and one of them is like 
she knows about it, but she refuses to be corrupt. Obviously a she. Obviously a she. Obviously a she. Dun dun. We go to see that parole, that, that good lady, that good parole lady, and her name is Carol Pinto at her office. So it's Benson and Stabler, and they're speaking with Carol, and she does seem to know that mess is afoot because they're asking her, they're like, are you aware of Roger Silver's release? And she's like, yeah, Roger Silver, not a great guy. And they're like, so you voted against releasing him. She goes, yep, but I was outnumbered. And she says it kind of like very uncomfortable, sort yes. of like. So she says that anytime Judge Varell would go to bat for somebody, he would call a contact in Albany, Emily, obviously, who again, I'm like, how? <laughs> I don't really understand this ingenious system, apparently. Yeah, this, then that person in Albany would call the parole board's assistant and give them the yay or nay as to that person should be let out or kept in. Carol says she basically tries to play dumb about the whole thing because she knows it's going on, but she doesn't want to get involved because she also knows it's like massively fucked up and she doesn't want to lose her job. Um, honestly, that's it. That's for it. That scene. Yeah. Dun dun. This is a even more useless scene. Honest. So Stabler realizes or reads in a note that Silver's wife is a flight attendant. Olivia's like, huh, they do have nice blue uniforms. Um, she sends Stabler home because get the a bitch Kathy needs him home. Just yeah, kidding. They, they need to have dinner together. And he goes, I'd be shocked if they didn't change the locks on me. It's like, okay, Elliot. Dun dun. We're in the bullpen the next morning. Stabler brings Benson a donut. It's okay. So I took some notes this morning and I saw that donut and I was like, Ugh, I really want a coffee roll from Dunkin' Donuts. So I go to my chiropractor appointment and on the way home, I go to Dunkin' Donuts and I get in line. I order my iced coffee and I was like, can I get a coffee roll, please? He's like, no. We're all out. Ew, it was like at 1130. You know, he's like, he's like, you know, Fridays are so busy. I was like, I didn't ask why. I have gotten coffee rolls at all times of the day. So he offered me an apple fritter. I was like, no. So I came home and I ate an English muffin and I'm still pissed off. That sucks. These are her stories. These are You're all welcome. This is (laughs) still furious. Benson tells Stabler that Gina Silver and Varela traded long phone calls four times a week for about two years. For two years. Wow. Yeah. No, that's. Justice for Gina. Oh, yeah. Um, Roger Silver, Gina's husband, was denied parole in 1997, 1998, and in 1999. But miraculously, he's due for parole next week. He's going to get out, I think. Stabler says it makes no sense to him that after he nearly killed her, she she still loves him. Olivia's like happens all the time she's such an expert on women i know she really is she's a friend to women she's like uh every woman knows when they're being cheated on which um i mean she wasn't being cheated on she was being fundamentally lied to but dennis raider's wife did not know ariana didn't know until she received a video of raquel oh my god how could i have forgotten the worst cheating scandal of all time. Women don't always know. We don't always know. Thank you. Uh, case in fucking point. Dun dun. So we go to Gina Silver's place. Gina answers the door and she's super sweet looking. She kind of looks a little bit like Amy Ryan. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. And um, somebody else. Oh, God, no, I can't remember. But she's in a flight attendant uniform. So immediately, because Benson and Stabler are just mad. I think they're still angry about Russian love poem and they're just taking it out yeah. on like, everybody they else. They have a bad tude this episode. So they just come in hot and they're like, do you know Judge Varela? And she's like, um, yeah, I knew him from, she said she knew him from volunteering at Together We're Safe just a few times. And that's how she met him. And they asked how, why it was that if they didn't know each other that well, they were trading large phone calls, long phone calls. Yes. So she says they had coffee a few times. And at this point, she's like nervous. 
and she asks if they can do this somewhere else. And they're like, yeah, we got a car waiting to take you to the precinct. Her poor sweet daughter comes back around because she'd kind of poked her head in earlier. And she asks what's, what's going on. And G- Gina's like, please go do your homework. And the daughter kind of irritates me here. She's like, is it about dad? Is it about dad? Is it about dad? Is it about dad? She went to the Maureen Stabler School of Acting. And Gina takes out lipstick. Lipstick. Uh, and she puts it on and goes, no, it's about me. I really, I love her. I like Gina. Yeah, me too. Poor Gina. I know. And then, so, you know, that's, I wrote Cherry Glow. Cherry Glow. So, obviously, now that a daughter has entered the room, Stabler goes, okay, everyone stand aside. (laughs) And he goes, your mom's going to be fine. We're going to bring her back in a few hours. Olivia's like, I don't even know what children are. (laughs) Olivia's like, like, what is that? It's like human, but smaller. You're a flight attendant. It doesn't seem like you spend a whole lot of time with your daughter. (laughs) Do you have children, detective? No, isn't that obvious? (laughs) (laughs) So back at the precinct, everyone is gathered around this two-way mirror for a lineup. The young woman, um, who's the substance misuse issues, is looking at the lineup, and she's like, I don't know. She looked different in a uniform. She lists, like, every number. She's like, could have been one, or two, or three, or four, maybe even five. And I'm like, that's me if I were asked (laughs) To do a lineup because, but I would be like afraid of messing up. So I'd be like, well, I'm really, really sure it was number two, but it could have been anyone. It's like five. It's like everybody else. If it's not, it's, it's whoever's in there that actually did it. Munch is like too bad. You weren't at the grassy knoll because he has to make everything about JFK. Munch is to JFK as Stabler is to children and families. (laughs) As Stabler is to Maureen Stabler. (laughs) Stabler is to daughters. So then. They joke around with her attorney because he goes, he goes, so why don't you let her go? And Cragen goes, Stabler, why don't you let her go? And Stabler goes, why? And Cragen's like, because her attorney said so. And the guy's joking. It was, he goes, you have to let her go. Let her go. Why? Her attorney says so. And then they turn back to him. It was like a whole bit. (laughs) And I think Stabler was serious for a minute because he goes, why? Why? (laughs) I'm going to put that on the story. Why? And so I thought, like, they were being serious. And then Craig was like, because her attorney said so. And then they both turned back to him like, <laughs> and the attorney's like, he goes, uh, he goes, he literally goes, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I said it's a hilarious bit. What a great bit, you guys. The lawyer says, okay, you know what I mean. And he's like, she has a kid at home and basically a bunch of dirty fingerprints from a dirty car door isn't enough evidence. And Benson struts her way through and goes, no, but cherry clove lipstick on Judge Varela's shriveling manhood is. Thanks, Olivia. She's like, I may not be married or a mother, but I know makeup. I know my lipstick. So back in the interrogation room, Benson and Stabler tell Gina that they know what Varela was up to. And Gina says that Varela called her from the office that morning and told her to meet him at the pier. So then they ask her about the lengths of all the calls from the past two years. Yeah, they're like, well, why were those phone calls so long? <laughs> like, what was the deal with that? And she's like, there was one way phone sex, which sounds so awful. I'm assuming that means she had to sit on the phone and listen to him. It sounds like he called. It would just like if it was one way, it sounds like he was just like lecturing her on what he was doing. It sounds like she was probably just sitting there while he like just fucking talked into the phone. Because then after she goes, then afterwards, when the phone sex was done, he would just make her sit there while he like 
gossiped gossiped about his his fraudulent activities he would talk about the parole board who he was gonna let out next he sounds like a proper old man oh yeah just being gross and expecting you to listen to his boring fucking work stories He's like and then bob down in accounting also on the take she's like oh my god are you listening <laughs> gina are you listening yes and then angela also in accounting also on the take and she's like Oh, my God. Carol Pinto still acting like she doesn't know who's on the take, but she definitely knows definitely who's on the knows. take. Do you need more cherry glow lipstick, by the way? <laughs> so then Varela. So when Varela told Gina to meet him at the pier, it meant that the parole board was about to meet about her husband and that she had to, quote, pay her annual dues. Stabler clarifies because I guess they have to do this as part of their job. Cash. And Gina goes on my knees. I would have just said I had to deflate him, officer. Ugh. So after she did that. Um, he goes, actually, Gina, we have to end this. I can't jeopardize my position. And Stiebler says, so he wanted to end the relationship? Yeah. Relationship. The, why? So I guess this is just not an episode where victims exist. Like extortion is not, does not a victim make. Benson and Stabler basically act like Cassidy through this whole scene where they're like, yeah. oh, so you were mad the relationship was over. Like they basically sound like, I mean, real life horrific cops that are just like harassing victims when they're trying to tell their story. Sometimes they're not clear with us if like they're trying to be bad cops to get information, kind of like when um, Cassidy stupidly, although he wasn't trying to be a bad cop, was like, oh no, maybe he's not the one that did her. And Harper was like, did me? I was raped, you piece of shit. Like maybe they're trying to get those reactions, but right now it's coming off as icky. Well, she goes, a relationship hardly. She Thank you. Well. Yeah, no, she actually She's handles a these. Lady. She kind of reminds me of um, Chuck from Sophomore J- Jinx. Oh, just yes. because she handles herself really well and doesn't really, she basically never allows them to rattle her. So Gina says that after Varela told her, so this again, per the ME, Varela ejaculated from the forced relatio he received from Gina, and then after he said that he wasn't going to keep doing this with her. She became hysterical and begged him to make the phone call to Albany. And so then he did. He called Albany and he sat there for a second and did the whole, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I'll let her know. Hangs up the phone, looks at Gina and says, wife's request denied. And then Gina says he started to laugh. Yeah, he goes, I made the call. Are you satisfied? So Gina knew about this gun because Varela can't keep his fucking mouth shut or his pants up apparently and so she knows it was kept behind a seat for protection so olivia slides her a pen and paper and goes and that's when you shot him and stabler goes tell us why she's like i fucking told you yeah right like again it's like they're hard to hear they all go swimming got water in their ears well stabler pisses me off again because he goes we get it judge varela used you he's a jerk a jerk? Why are you saying it like it's he's not true? He's a piece true. of shit abuser. Right. He's an, he is an abuser of women. He's not literally. a jerk. They're talking to her like I would talk to my friend who like recently got dumped by a guy. He used you. He's a jerk. Right. Not like a man in a very powerful position who coerced her into sexual favors. Oh, and here's the real kicker, everyone. Yeah. Stabler's like, why, you tr- why try to get your piece of shit husband out of jail? And she's like, you dummies. I did not have sex with Varela to get my husband out. I did it to keep him in. And I got chills even watching that because I was like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. 
Me either. You know Neither I mean? did the detectives. They were just like, oh, she's trying to get out her, her dumb husband. She's just a woman who still loves him. She's trying to get out. Because, like, I'm thinking that maybe the background is that, like, we find out that he really didn't abuse her. And, like, maybe her mother called and was like, he's abusing her. Or, like, something, you know, like, someone intervened. It's really a sad story. And that he's using that. No. Total monkey wrench. It's yeah. that this is, makes it even more... Not more disgusting because it's all disgusting, but it's almost like more diabolical that this guy knew that Judge Varela was doing everything he was doing. So mm-hmm. that's over there. And then knew that this person was so dangerous to her that she was willing to, like, be exploited to yes. keep him in jail. So that's like makes it so much more. It's like, wow, you're evil. Well, it sounds like the other ones, most of the women needed the financial support from the father of their children. So, I mean, and that's also... A valid reason to want them out and making them vulnerable to this man's very insidious abuse. But this is like, this woman is, a, is basically doing these quote-unquote favors for her life. That's so upsetting. And he, he not only abused her sexually, but even um, not even mentally by, by expecting those phone calls four times a week for hours. He seems like he has taken a special interest in her. Yes. Um, so done, done. Craigan's office. Craigan and Miss Random Male DA are reviewing the evidence photos from Gina's original trial against her husband when he was put away for abusing her. Um, and these pictures show her as badly battered, just oh, ripped yeah. apart. The DA mentions that Gina had a restraining order on Roger that he continuously violated. So yeah, our legal system is mystifying. Craigan literally looks at the photos and he's like, what the hell is this? So Roger broke a chair over her back and then beat her with the legs, bursting her spleen, and then told the arresting officer he did it to herself. So the man goes, you guys should go really easy on Gina, like manslaughter to Max. Yeah, he said he, he would personally want to try her for man too, but because Varela was a judge, it will put like a lot more pressure. The feds are going to get involved. There's more pressure to prosecute her as like an actual criminal. And Craigan thinks that it would be ridiculous and hypocritical for anyone to take Varela seriously at this point. Because, oh, yeah. Like, he said, he goes, pure, the pure fact that he pretended to be, like, an ally to women while simul- using it as a guise to literally abuse them. Oh, yeah. And Craigan suddenly leans forward and he's like, if I could, I would exhume his, the body and kick his ass. I think that's, like, a that's fun hilarious. thing we should do anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, like, do it. Who's stopping you? Like, let's make sure that they're will. like, let's not exhume innocent people and kick their ass, but, like, let's exhume, like, newly buried, like, jerks and just beat them up a little bit. Be fun. So the DA suggested they could potentially get a sympathetic jury and that SVU should go meet Roger Silver to prepare. And he kind of says it like, you should go talk to Robert Silver or Roger Silver. Dun, dun. So B&S are there with roger they pull off the evidence photos of gina's wounds so roger looks at him and goes i tried to stop her so then benson's like oh really and the ball peen hammer that hit her that just like flew out of your hands while you were holding it right and so then i argue i'm like why wasn't this whole conversation used as a reason not to let him out of jail I know. but he looks at her and he goes pretty and smart and it's like first of all whatever you were saying wasn't gonna get a, gonna get over on anyone and second of all are you admitting to beating the tar out of her Stabler is basically like, don't talk to my girlfriend. We're here to talk to you about Judge Varela. So they mentioned that Varela's dead, and Benson asks if Gina mentioned a relationship with Varela once again. A relationship. And Roger goes, oh, 
now I get it. And I'm like, do you? It's kind of like when someone's asking if you understand the card game rules and you're like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's sure, start playing and we'll find out. Roger tells him that he called Gina so he could talk to his daughter. And then Gina told him that thanks to Varela, he would never see his daughter again. I guess I, that was the same day that Varela died, I think. I think so. And because he goes, guess she was wrong. So he smirks, slides the photo back to them and turns to go. But then he turns back suddenly. He's like, tell Gina I want what's mine. And tell that little bitch if she wants to fly the friendly skies, she better not make any trouble, says Roger. Trouble personified. I, so I enjoyed the acting, the guard who's leading him away. He knew he wasn't going to get any lines, but he makes like a face like, ooh, this bad man. So are making threats towards your victims, that's not, that does not keep you in jail, make? No, I guess not. <laughs> I'm so confused. Dun dun. I love this little scene. It was cute. It was cute. It's the office of the state attorney general. So Cragen busts in with a large box of files and he goes, Happy New Year, Marcus. <laughs> Marcus is a bow-tied man who immediately is like, what the hell is this? He's almost like a Scrooge McDuck type. He is. I liked him. And Cragen tells him it's a box of cases that are now his problem. Well, Marcus is pissed because now he has 42 cases pertaining to a fellatio for parole scandal. Craigan's like, don't worry, we're close to catching Varela's murder. You caught her. Yeah, you caught what her. What do you mean you're close? You got her. Yeah, and she admitted, I mean, she said that she used the gun. I know they can't find the gun, but yeah, okay. Done, done. Done, done, Marcus. Um, so Craigan's office. Craigan's on the phone with someone, and he kind of ends with the sentence, well, she's going to need protection. Then BNS walk in, and Craigan tells him that since he gave the case files to the state attorney general's office, uh, Marcus, the feds are now very intrigued, and they want to take the case over. So they offer Gina immunity to give them more information about Varela's operation and help them, you know, kind of like sting everybody, I guess. And the attorney and her attorney jumped at the chance and agreed to the deal. So Stabler is big mad. Yeah. He's acting as though they just told him that Michael Myers is being set free. Olivia and Elliot start screaming at Cragen. And Cragen, like, is having the same reaction that Brittany and I are. He's like, uh, guys, it's kind of a shit show. And he says of Gina, he goes, she ran out of options. Like, he's actively defending what she did, which we all are. And Benson and Stabler are acting as though. So Olivia says this line where she goes, so is every junkie who has ever shot up a liquor store. Are you defending this action as well? I So you're comparing a person who shot up a liquor store with a woman who shot a man who was abusing her. Systematically. For, for four years. Four years. And it, the threat was that if she didn't do the things he required of her, her murderous ex-husband would be let out of jail where he could murder her. And as they just learned two scenes ago, he is so ready to come kill her again he literally said <laughs> he was like I can't, I can't wait to be out of jail yeah he goes i'm gonna come there and i'm gonna murder her and they're like totally they're like yeah 100 right, cool. we definitely get why she killed a man <laughs> yeah craigan tells him to basically shut up and <laughs> and he goes and he tells him to run the case file over to some precinct uh in half an hour and now they're mad about that because they're like that's in half an hour and he's like well you better get going you better get going while the going's good i can't believe like craig is usually the one kind of being like whatever victims you know not not always like he kind of goes in and out but like he literally was like yeah guys i feel like she killed him because she had to and they're like and so do a lot of people i know 
Well, in like the first episode, he was so pissed when they kind of lost evidence so that they wouldn't prosecute the woman who murdered her rapist. Her rapist, yeah. I wrote the gentler interrogation room. <laughs> done, done. So we're back with Gina. Ugh. Poor Gina. She's like, I can't believe I'm free to go. My daughter's going to be so relieved. She thinks they're on her side, too. Like, she's kind of talking to them like, oh, isn't this great, guys? Like, because I'm a victim and all. Stabler's like, you're not really free, Gina. And then they explain to her that the feds have now taken over and that they're going to basically use her for all the information that she can get for them. But if it's not good enough, they could prosecute her for killing Varela at any time. And she's like, but what? Really? Why? And they're like, well, because like basically they're just using you right now. But if they can't get any good information, they have to cover their asses and prosecute you regardless. And then they seem to take great delight in scaring her. Yeah. They're like, we're going to have police that are watching your back. But huh, they're from a really busy precinct. So anything could happen. She's like, what do you mean? They're like, well, it's just like they might not be able to respond to you if you're in danger, like as quickly as, you know, you're hoping. And then Stabler has the fucking gall to say to her, the person you killed was a seriously flawed human being, but he put away the same people we do. I don't fucking care. Shut the fuck up. I'm changing, you know, I'm kind of like feeling bad that I said this episode was good, but not like (laughs) offensive because now I'm like, no, it's very offensive. It's very offensive, but I do think it was a good choice to show that though we like Benson and Stabler because we follow them. Yeah. Sometimes the police are not the good guys. Well, they say at some point they're like, we're just the foot soldiers doing the work. And that kind of is all they are. Like, it's true. They're just basically doing the law's dirty work. And sometimes the law and the systems don't work. And this woman's a huge victim of that. And it fucking sucks. It sucks. So she kind of is taking all that in. And done, done. She kind of agrees to help them do what they want her to do. But all they wanted her to do was to do the exact same thing the feds wanted her to do. I know. Which... They were like, the feds are taking over. Hey, let's do... <laughs> we're going to take you to a room and do what the feds want. Right. Do. They just wanted her to call the two, and it's only two people, the two members of the parole board that were being paid by the donations from the extortion victims, threaten them, which she does. So done, done. She's calling the different parole board members. She calls one of them and she says that she was a very integral part, integral, integral, in, integral part. Oh my gosh. I wrote integral earlier and then had a hard time saying it. Because I was thinking of um, intricate, and then, and then I was doing integral, oh, yeah. you know, so it's a very integral part <laughs> of corned beef is pork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Gina calls one of the parole board members. She lets him know that she's an integral part of Judge Varela's operation. And now that he's gone, she wants part of his cut. She wants all of his cut. And then she goes, I think you do know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Yeah, see that you do. So that stupid thing they wanted her to do that the feds would have done. I think that that's all. Anyway, dun dun. Dun dun. Cragen hangs up the phone in this new scene and tells Benson and Stabler that Roger has Gina. We were just with Gina. They literally, they're in the office already. It's almost like they're waiting. And he's on the phone. He goes, yeah, okay, thank you. And then he goes, hey, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's that special location and that victim you were working with, Gina. And they're like, yeah, the husband's got her. And she, they're like, shit. And they literally run out. They're like, wow, this is such a shocking turn of events. Wow, that's so weird. You absolute pieces of shit. Um, her husband that literally in front of us threatened to kill her in front of God and everyone <laughs> threatened to kill her once he got out is now attempting to kill her. Couldn't have done that math. So right then Cassidy walks in. He looks just. He's a mess. Shell shocked. He's in his sweats. And so Cragen says, I take it you saw her dot dot dot. 
he whips out an entire handle of vodka and pours Cassidy a shot. And he's like, yeah, when I saw she called, I, I knew it wasn't good. And he's like, but Cassidy, I knew she should talk to someone cool, someone she could relate to. So that's why I sent you. Cassidy downs his shot. Not well. He didn't go to Keene State. Mm-mm. He's a bitch. So Cassie says the victim who is they don't ever name her who would be if she was eight years old at the time of the original crime she would now be around 16 or 17 she fell for a guy in her neighborhood named vince and she went on a date with him down by coney island they had sex and after that his friends uh cassie referred to them as a set so i'm assuming it was supposed to be implied that this was a gang attacked and gang raped her he said that she said it was somewhere about eight guys that she couldn't remember and after they were finished attacking her, they left her where they were in a beach towel. Just her clothes were torn to shreds. She couldn't walk because she was so battered. And so as she's sitting there, a man comes along and asks her if she needs help. She says, yes, and thank you. And Cassie says, and then he, and he can't complete his sentence. So we can safely assume that this man proceeded to sexually assault her again he is crying he is sobbing as i think any of us would be and craigan goes okay well i think that bedstead stabler can take the case over from here and maybe you could transfer out of svu yes what the fuck so he goes there is an opening in narcotics you could do a lot of good over there this is hilariously well suited for cassidy it is so do we think Cragen, <laughs> once he saw the outburst against Olivia, was like, I'm going to give this fucking kid this videotape and I'm going to chase him out of SVU. My theory was similar. I said, do you think Cragen made up a fake case and had an actor oh my God. meet up with Cassidy <laughs> and tell this really fucking horrible, probably one of the most horrible stories you can hear? I, I honestly, I do think it's real. And I think Cragen was just like, he saw that Cass... I, he saw Cassidy couldn't hack it. He loves Olivia and thinks Olivia's the better detective. And he was like, all right, Cassidy's going to have worse and worse outbursts. So I think he was probably intending on going to see this woman, but he's so busy and he saw his opening and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to break him. And he did. And he, he did. broke Brian Cassidy. He broke him. He probably had to have known it was not going to be good. And he was like, he says, he's like, I knew this wasn't going to be good. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, this was a setup. This was breaking Brian Cassidy. Oh, my God. And it worked. And it did. I want her episode because I want every man involved in that assault lined up, shot, buried, and then I'm going to exhume their bodies, and then I'm going to kick their ass. Beat them up again in death. Fuck those fucking pieces of shit. Cassidy kind of, yeah, Cragen sort of is talking to him and saying, basically, you're too, you know, you would do a lot better on narcotics. It would probably suit you. He goes, it's not like this, Cassidy. Yeah. And so then we go out to the bullpen. Cassidy is packing up his locker in that awful, awful little locker space. Yes. Munch approaches him and asks what's up. And Cassidy says, frankly, leaving SVU. Munch seems surprised, but ultimately says he thinks it's for the best because Cassidy is too sweet. And the things around SVU are too weird for him. And I agree. Cassidy's like, right, sex crimes, moi? I still get embarrassed buying condoms at the drugstore. I mean, same. I'm embarrassed for you. So Cassidy's really excited about going to narcotics. He's like, I'm going to get to be a cowboy and beat up people. Great. 
And Munch is being supportive. You can tell he that he gasses kinda, him up. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that you, you can tell on Cassidy's face that he's torn because he doesn't want to leave. He feels kind of like a failure. I mean, I'm making that part up, but he also knows that he really can't hack it. So Munch is like, yeah, you'll be really great there. And he praises him for his handling of that homeless woman who has substance abuse issues he goes you got out of her what a lot of people can't and i'm like oh that's weird when you treat someone like a human being they like open up to you i know munch. like when you don't run in and start going we don't want your junkie crack i know munch is like that was re- some really good detective work i can't learn anything from that like clearly that's like a special set of skills yeah why were we never given a law and order narcotics with joey pool and brian cassidy as his protege and I'm blaming Oz for that. That would have been a way better spinoff than organized crime. Yeah, thank you. So they, they embrace and Brian gives Munch a Nerf ball, which I think we saw them throwing around a couple times. You know, Detective Porter is watching from the corner with a single tear going down her cheek. There was no incest in this, but I'm still here. I showed up to work. I'm just in the corner. I'm like, goodbye, love. Goodbye, love. Hello, dear. Cease. And you're like, rent now? Don't make her sing. And I get mad at you because I'm like, wait, you're the one singing now? <laughs> Not to be outdone, I go, goodbye, yellow brick road. <laughs> I don't know. We're the both words. singing our different songs <laughs> like, over like each a, other. It's like our eyes are getting face. bigger. Keep shining, keep smiling, <laughs> know that you will always count on me. <laughs> Cassie's like, He's like, it really is too weird around here for me. And Munch is like, joins us up on stage for like a karaoke. You know I'm leaving in this whole thing, right? (laughs) It's going to be an hour and 50 minutes because I'm leaving in this musical interlude. Dun, dun. Oh, God. (laughs) Goodbye, Brian. (laughs) Goodbye, our good moods. And we're in fucking Washington Heights, you guys. Oh, God. So we're at Gina's apartment. B&S, again, fresh off their fuck up. Get out of the car, run up to the responding officer who tells him that the ink wasn't even dry on Roger's parole papers before he fucking went to the apartment and started, proceeded to beat the shit out of Gina over laundry. They ask what set him off and he's like, dirty clothes in the hamper. I'm like, did he walk in and just was like, because I don't think she would invite him in calmly or nicely. Right. He must have busted in, was like, dirty laundry, and then just started beating the crap out of her. Seriously. So after that, he dragged her into the basement where the laundry is. There is a laundry in the basement. Um, and he said he was going to kill her. So he's threatening to kill her as promised. And Stabler's like, oh, did you guys call a hostage negotiator? The guy's like, yeah, 20 minutes ago, but I'd get in there like right now. Yeah, the cop, he's like the only smart one. He's like, yeah, um, I would get in there now. Do you, do you hear everything I just said? He's like, why are you still sitting here talking to me? Get the fuck in there. Get the fuck in there. So done, done. They go into the basement and they see that Roger is there. They're sneaking in quietly. Roger's there. He's got his foot on Gina's chest. She's on the ground. He's got his foot on Gina's chest. He's pointing a gun at her. Stabler's like, hey, uh, can we talk? Roger looks at them and he goes, this is mine. And so now we know why he said that. So Stabler calmly tells him to step away and drop his gun. And Roger says, I'm going to tell you a Russian love poem. But got to here. I want to love her forever. Looks like my mother loved my father and followed him to Siberia. This is the second episode in a row that ends in like a shootout, essentially. Um, so yeah, Roger, he tells him to put the gun down. Stabler's trying to kind of lull him into a false sense of security. He's talking to him. Roger like glances up at Benson and then he lifts the gun. And I thought at first he was going to shoot her. But do you think he was going to shoot Stabler? I think. 
it's really fast. He literally just like starts to raise the gun and Olivia shoots him immediately. Yeah. She knocks him the fuck back too. He like flies back. Oh, yeah. Lands onto the washer dryers right behind him. There's blood everywhere. He didn't even know what hit him. Stupid motherfucker. So officers immediately run in and pull Gina out and Stabler goes to check Roger and gives Olivia like a nuh uh look. Like, like you killed him. Like the emoji with the teeth again. Like the. Ooh. Ooh, he's so dead. And Olivia looks shaken. And I'm like, you guys are on the wrong side of history for all these scenes. Oh, yeah. Olivia looks so traumatized. Is this the first time? This is the first time she's killed someone on the show. Yes. Yeah. Is this the first kill? I think that this is the first time they've killed anybody. Like, they've killed anybody. Yeah? Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, so this is, this is the first time any officer on the show has, yeah, killed anybody. That we've that we've seen. That we've seen, yeah. No, wow, yeah. I guess it is kind of a, a big scene for everybody. We're just so, you know, used to, <laughs> we've seen yeah. 20 years of this shit, and we're like, oh, no, you're going to kill, like, 50 more people. It's, it's been, like, years. Well, it has been years, actually, in the show. It's been, yeah, like, a true. year in the show. Well, anyway, executive producer Dick Wolf. So first thing I want to note is we've got some serious continuity issues from Closure, because we saw that all that stuff, I think, went down in October. And then she had that conversation with Cassidy during Easter. Yes, six months later. And I never noted this, but this episode takes place in January. Are we to assume that Cassidy's been stalking Olivia since April 1999? No, October 1999. What? You're, wait. Oh, my God. Brittany, you're right. Because October, then April would have been. So what Whoa. actually I think happened is they fucked up. Yeah, they fucked up. They set closure six months after the date of the episode. And then I think what actually happened in the real world is Dean Winters could not do both Oz and SVU. And he decided to go with Oz. So it is weird because it was supposed to be 1999. Unless they were trying to make it like they were recorded. The first couple episodes were in the end of 98. But then. No, no, they say 99 because I mean, they do the date cards. You're right. They fucked up because they were supposed to be September. And then you're right. We had several episodes. So like October would have already happened. Then they went back to October. I think I said that. in Yes. Stalked. I was like, they're back in October, which is weird because they were in November for stalked. So I think they just didn't know this was going to happen and screwed up the timeline, which. All right. This is not a big deal. But once you start doing a podcast where you're taking notes on everything, you notice these things. And SVU is almost meant to not watch chronologically. That's true. I mean, it's perfect TV for just putting on a marathon and going between all the seasons. It really doesn't matter. Right. Honestly, yeah. Well, Paige, we're saying goodbye to Brian Cassidy for 10 years. 10 years. And it feels like even longer because I tuned out around 10 years later. (laughs) I mean, well, honestly, we may never even get to when he he comes back once Stabler leaves and we have... we have only committed to this as long as Stabler's here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which once he left, Brittany and I were like, I just don't see the point in this. Yeah. Once again, I shit on him so hard, but now that he's gone, I'm a little sad. R.I.P. Brian. I miss him. I was thinking Dean Winters, whose performance I've criticized a little bit here and there. He was so good during the scene where he was telling the story of the victim he spoke to. And I was like, what if they had had Dean Winters play Cassidy a little softer and more like that? Like getting really, 
emotionally distraught by yeah. these episodes. And now I don't think they knew they were going to write him out. I, no, honestly, I, I right. don't really think they know what they're doing because they're playing with him. They're playing with Jeffries. They haven't really, this is a very nebulous time. They haven't really figured out what the fuck they're doing yet. It's, it's like when an office is kind of in a turnover mode where like people are getting laid off and oh, you're yeah. like, ooh, everyone's going to have to move up a seat or not, or you know? Not. It's very office politics. Well, well, yeah. I'm actually very excited for our next episode. It's season one, episode 14, Limitations. Stabler and Benson look into a sexual assault case from five years ago, which was reopened just days before the statute of limitation ends. Do you remember this one? Not yet. It's the one where they're basically investigating against the clock and they need to get the perpetrator or all these cases like they're never going to be able to charge the rapist and they get new information. Oh, fuck. No, I don't. This is like a really intense episode if I'm remembering correctly. Is this the one where... I think this is the one where it's like, and then they find out the guy's paraplegic. Like, they find him. Well, my memory of this episode is that it's the one where they, they have, like, several victims, and then they each, they get new evidence, but they can only investigate the last person's case right. because of the date. So they try to charge, they try to charge the DNA or something, and the lawyer, like, they're trying to press charges against the DNA and they're like if the person they ever match the DNA to the person then they can prosecute him okay or something like oh that's pretty cool no I don't remember this one but that's kind of cool it's like they're maybe I'm see how badly I fudged that once we actually get to see the episode maybe I'll watch it well actually I can't because the new episodes of love is blind is out oh I know shit I I started the episode nine guys I I'm I'm like so alone on this island but I don't hate Chelsea. She just reminds me of every speech pathologist I've ever met. They're just kind of intense. <laughs> well, guys. Well, guys. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed us as usual. I know you did. I know Mike didn't because Mike doesn't listen. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, he's going to listen now, I think, because Krista, <laughs> she was like, you don't even listen. <laughs> she's, su- she's such a good friend. <laughs> yeah, you're a good friend and we don't actually hate Mike. No, obviously. we love you, Mike. Uh, Uh, Oh, bye. Bye.